Open the Word of God with me to Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7, I hope you were able to read it last evening in your preparation for today's worship and sermons. Luke 7. I want to preach to you about Jesus being the friend of sinners, the forgiver of sinners. When we look for the word friend in the New Testament, we can find that Abraham was the friend of God. We don't have a positive statement made about Jesus being the friend of sinners. It's a negative statement that's made in the thought of the wicked Pharisees of putting Jesus in the gutter as the friend of sinners. And we take it as an exaltation of our Lord and Savior that he's the friend of sinners. And I hope to comfort your souls. I hope to excite you about Jesus forgiving our sins. I hope to prepare you for the Lord's Supper next Sunday. I hope to warn you about a self-righteous spirit that pops up inside us. I want to warn against any kind of Pharisees that would ever creep in among us that think like a Pharisee because the Pharisees were the greatest enemies of Jesus Christ and they could not accept, they could not admit, they could not embrace forgiveness even for repentant sinners. They hated them. They hated the publicans. They hated the harlots. Even when the publicans and the harlots repented, they hated them because it didn't matter to them. They are so wicked and their hearts are so black. All they can look at is someone's sin, even though their sin of self-righteousness is the worst sin of all. And it's not Christ-like at all, ever. Okay, here we are in Luke chapter 7. And I'll start reading at verse 29 this time. Last evening I suggested verse 24 to get the whole context about John the Baptist, but let's start at 29. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves being not baptized of him. And the Lord said, Whereunto then shall I liken the men of this generation? And to what are they like? They are like unto children sitting in the marketplace and calling one to another and saying, We have piped unto you, and ye have not danced. We have mourned to you, and ye have not wept. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, And ye say, he hath a devil. The Son of Man is come, eating and drinking. And ye say, behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. But wisdom is justified of all her children. And amen. Are you one of the ones that justify the different ministries of John the Baptist and Jesus Christ because you're a child of wisdom? Because you're a child of God? Wisdom is justified by all her children. These are the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. We're able to look into the Bible and see mysteries like the different ministries of John the Baptist and Jesus and accept them both and embrace both men as being great. One, the forerunner of the Son of God, and the other being the Son of God, and we see it as being God's wise plan. Others look at the difference and say, well, the one's got a devil and the other's just a glutton. You know, because he didn't eat bread, they called him, he had a devil, he's devil-possessed. Because Jesus did eat bread, he was called a glutton. John wouldn't drink wine because he was a Nazarite, and so they accused him of having a devil. Jesus drank wine, and they accused him of being a wine-bibber or a drunkard. This is the world when it's faced with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They hate it. They hate it and despise it, no matter what he does. And so Jesus used the little story of children in the marketplace in verse 32 where one group has said to another group, we've piped, we've played our instruments, why weren't you dancing? And when that didn't work, we mourned, but you didn't weep. No matter what we do, you don't give us a response. And that's because of up there in verses 29 and 30. I want you to love verse 29. All the people that heard him and the publicans justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. When you are baptized, repenting of your sins, you justify God. Now, God needs to justify us legally to get into heaven, but there's a way in which we declare God to be right when we say, I'm wrong, he's right, 
I want to be baptized in the name of my Savior. And so that's justifying God. And the publicans did it in verse 29. And other places it will tell us it's publicans and harlots. And so when you see publicans and sinners, the sinners are usually harlots when you compare New Testament gospel accounts. But then verse 30, the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. Remember in Matthew chapter 3 when the Pharisees came out to John the Baptist and he said, who's warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Don't you know that this is going to happen to you and this and this and this? And they wouldn't submit and be baptized. They could have saved their nation. But God had already purposed that they weren't going to save their nation. And so he blinded them, irritated and provoked them by a wild minister like John the Baptist, an obscure minister like Jesus Christ, using parables and having no origin way up there in the you know, in little Bethlehem, but then being raised in Nazareth. No good things ever come out of Nazareth. And so the Lord arranged all that because he was going to destroy that nation. Let's make sure that we're never destroyed by accepting the counsel of God against ourselves and repenting and justifying God. Let's always make him right and we're always wrong. And let's do it boldly. And so the Lord said in verse 31, what am I going to compare this generation to? You are so wicked, I send John the Baptist. He's the forerunner from Malachi and Isaiah, clearly identified in the Bible. And they called him, they said of him that he had a devil. Then Jesus Christ comes, the fulfillment of the prophecies from Genesis to Malachi 4, the son of righteousness. They accuse him of being a glutton, a drunkard, and a friend of sinners. Amen, yes. And notice that exclamation point on it. When they said it, they said it with emphasis. That man is a drunkard. That man's a glutton. And let's, I'm going to really dip, dip deep on this one. He's a friend of sinners. Thank you, Lord. Amen. They thought they were tearing Jesus down. That's how blind they were. Can you imagine that when I get the title for my sermon, Jesus is the friend of sinners, it comes from a statement of his enemies that he was a friend of sinners. And they were using it to denigrate him. They were using it to despise him because they were so self-righteous. They walked around in their fancy robes, straight-laced lives. They always went by the book. They always went by the book. I hate people that go by the book. I want to live by wisdom. And wisdom is justified by all her children. They went by their book, not this book. This book is full of wisdom and forgiveness. This book is full of mercy and kindness. This book is full of God being a friend of sinners. But their book, see, it's called the Pharisees and the lawyers here. All they cared about were their law books of their little ticky rules on how they did things. They wore scripture. They memorized scripture. They kissed scripture. But they didn't obey scripture. And Jesus would say to them over and over, ye do err not knowing the scriptures. Have ye never read? Have ye never read? Have ye never read? Because they didn't understand mercy how that David could go into the, into the tabernacle and eat the showbread. J David knew he could do it. Hosea knew he should do it. Solomon wrote that he did do it and should have done it. And Jesus defended him for doing something that was good. Oh, but not Pharisees. You know, they were the ones that jumped Jesus' disciples for rubbing off a little bit of corn grain in the field and eating it because they were hungry. What a difference. It's a huge difference. And that difference is going to come back Shortly, I want you to see Matthew 21's version of this. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew 21, and I'll start at verse 28. But what thank ye? This is Jesus with one of another of his lessons. You know, he had children in the marketplace. This is two sons. What thank ye? A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir, and went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father. Oh, this is just, this is so good. I mean, there's a lot of talkers that don't do. And then there are those that don't do then repent and do. And so Jesus asked, whether of them twain did the will of his father, they say unto him the first. 
That's the one that said up there in verse 29, I will not, but he repented and then went. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. Because they started out their lives, I'm not going to go to the synagogue. I'm not going to go to the temple. I'm going to do, do my street work. I'm going to do my street work as the harlots, and I'm going to go do my tax collecting for the Roman Empire, which was the publicans. I'm not going to serve God. I'm going to serve myself. I'm going to get rich off of being either one of these professions. But then they repented, and they came after the Lord Jesus Christ. And so which one did the will of God? The ones that started out poorly, but ended up well. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward, that ye might believe him. They're not even moved by the facts of these harlots giving up their life of whoredom and these publicans giving up their life of ripping off the populace for the Roman government. It doesn't, nothing moves them. Every one of you should be examining himself if your heart is cold, if your heart is hard against sinners. Your heart should be tender. Your heart should be warm. Your heart should be full of forgiveness towards sinners. The Lord's heart is. And when I, when I use sinners, if I don't use the qualifying word, you should understand and assume it every single time I'm talking about repentant sinners. I'm talking about repentant publicans. I'm talking about repentant harlots. That's understood. Jesus wasn't a friend of sinners in the other way. Jesus was a friend of repentant sinners. And so they're described here as repenting and yet not moving the Pharisees. Let this church glorify Jesus Christ this way. Let's always be a friend of sinners. And I'm going to prove why we ought to always be a friend of sinners. We want to have a Christ preeminent church. We want to have Christ formed in us. We want to have Christ formed in our body. And we do that in the way that the Lord has sent me to you today for the second sermon is by being a friend of sinners just like Jesus is a friend of sinners. Again, now I'm not going to say this a hundred times, but I may say it five. This is the second time. When I say a friend of sinners, I mean repentant sinners. The R factor is huge. Amen. Repentance makes all the difference in the world. Nothing matters after repentance. Get over it. Thank you, Lord, for being so merciful. Amen. Teach us to be merciful like you are merciful. Publicans were hated tax agents for Rome against the Jews. Look at Luke chapter 3. Let me just explain a couple of terms from Luke 7. Matthew 21 just gave us a little bit of different insight and a different example that the Lord gave us. Luke 3 is John the Baptist addressing the publicans. Publicans were tax collectors. But remember, the taxes were being collected by a pagan, foreign, occupying army and empire, the Roman Empire. Who wanted to pay taxes to the occupying Roman Empire? Very difficult. And so there were men that raised their hands and said, I'll do it. And then they'd go out there with the Roman army behind them and the Roman empire behind them, and they'd charge whatever they felt like. And they would get rich. Watch. Here's, we, can, we can extract that from what John said to them. Because in Luke chapter 3, and this is what every man should be asking. When the gospel is preached to you, there's only one thing you should be thinking. What should I be doing better? What should I be doing better? What should I be doing better? Stop thinking about anyone else in the congregation. Stop thinking about the pastor. Stop thinking about your foolish life. Ask, what should I be doing better? Because when John the Baptist preached, that's how they responded. Verse 10, the people asked him, saying, What shall we do then? The people, what shall we do? He, answered and, he answereth and saith unto them, He that hath two coats, let him impart to him that hath none. And he that hath meat, let him do likewise. Then came also publicans to be baptized, and said unto him, Master, what shall we do? And he said unto them, Exact no more than that which is appointed you. And the soldiers likewise demanded of him, saying, And what shall we do? And he said unto them, Do violence to no man, neither accuse any falsely, and be content with your wages. Embrace this passage. Three different categories of the population that heard John the Baptist preach all said, what shall we do? Where am I wrong? What do I need to do better? None of us like to ask that question. 
But we need to ask that question in light of last Sunday's second sermon about being teachable. What should I do better? What am I doing wrong in my life? You say, well, why would they want to ask John the Baptist? What was he dressed in? How fine was his suit? Was it from Lord and Taylor? No, they declared bankruptcy. Where was his suit from? He had a leather girdle. What was he crunching on between sermons? Locusts. What did he dip them in before eating them? Wild honey. That was John the Baptist. But I'm telling you, he was God's man. He was God's man. And Jesus, in Luke chapter 7, said, There was not a man born of a woman greater than John the Baptist. God doesn't have to dress his ministers to your satisfaction because God doesn't care what you think about his ministers. God wants you to submit yourself to what those ministers declare. And John the Baptist was declaring repentance. I come with a baptism of repentance to prepare you for one that's coming that's so much greater than me that I'm not worthy to loose his shoes. And so you had the people, then the publicans, and then the soldiers asking him, what should we do? And John the Baptist knew what their temptations were. And what was it for publicans? In verse 13, exact no more than that which is appointed you. Because you could get rich. Just pad a little bit. The Roman government says this house should pay us one talent. And so the publican comes to the door. And they're afraid of him because the Roman Empire is behind him. And he says... I want two talents. You say, did that actually happen? Let's go over to Luke 19 and read about a man that starts with Z. Zacchaeus. I remember singing a song about a wee little man, and a wee little man was he who climbed up into a sycamore tree. You know, brethren, today's, this second sermon is very serious in some respects, and it's so much fun in other respects. Right that Jesus loves sinners. Amen. He loves trophies of grace. He loves big sinners because big sinners get him more praise. And he knows this, that big sinners, forgiven, love more. Right. And so, If you don't have a great love for Jesus Christ, it's because you think you're good and you don't understand how much he's forgiven you and how much of a friend he's been to you. Right. And it could change your life just to realize you are the worst one that has ever lived on this planet. Then you can appreciate Jesus Christ. Right. And just remember, every ounce of your thoughts about someone else being worse makes you the worst sinner ever. You are a Pharisee, and Jesus hated them, and they hated him, and he killed every last one of them that wouldn't submit to him. And the few that were left over that said they believed on him, the Apostle Paul and Peter and James had to take them to task in the council at Jerusalem. It was Pharisees that believed, that stood up, and wanted to lay the law of Moses on converted Gentiles because they lived by the book. Isn't that the way we've always done it? No, this is the New Testament. Go back to Moses and Mount Sinai. The wee little man, and a wee little man was he, Zacchaeus. I just want to point out at this time, I hope you know the story. Jesus entered and passed through Jericho in verse 1 of Luke 19. There was a man named Zacchaeus, chief among the publicans, and he was rich. Ah, well, we're going to find out how he got rich. And he was rich. He sought to see Jesus who he was and could not for the press because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And this is my Lord. This is the Jesus that I believe in. This is the Jesus that commissioned me to preach. This is the Jesus I present to you today. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and ignored all the crowd around him and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house and not all those around him. 
And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. Can you see this wee little man bouncing around and jumping up and down because Jesus wants to eat at his house? And when they saw it, that is the crowd around them that Jesus had rejected, they all murmured, because look at their attitudes. They all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. See how much the doctrine of the Pharisees had infected, infected and perverted the thinking of the nation. Listen, Roman Catholicism, for people that come out of Roman Catholicism, they think like Pharisees. They measure everything by church rules. They can't measure forgiveness because they got to go pay they got to go pay fees and they got to go light candles and they got to go to confession and they got to do their Hail Marys and they got to go through the rosary and they have all these rules but those that come to Christ they don't have to do any of those things the roman church would go bankrupt just like the, just like the church of diana of the ephesians went bankrupt in in acts chapter 19 and 20 cuz it took away the whole craft of making those idols there's nothing in this church that can save your soul except the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ who has saved your soul and he forgives sinners. And so notice the difference in spirit because look what comes next. Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, because this crowd's murmuring against him, they don't like him because he's rich. And how do you get rich as a publican? Because of the minimum wage that Rome pays? Think, think about what John said and think about this. How did he get rich? And he said, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And he's saying, I do that right now. I'm, I'm willing to do that right now because Jesus said, This day is salvation. Come to this house. Right. If Zacchaeus had been doing that all along, Jesus wouldn't have said, This day is salvation. Come to this house. For, as, for so much as he also is the son of Abraham. And then get this verse. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Amen. Jesus Christ came into the city of Jericho and went down that street, not for the crowd of people that were around them, because he didn't care about those people. He came for a man that had a good heart. He came for a man that was truly a son of Abraham. Are you a son of Abraham today? If ye be Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and according to the promise. And the promises of God are yours. Let's be a forgiving church and let's embrace the Savior who forgives men, even the greatest of sinners, when they repent. And here was Zacchaeus admitting what he was going to do to show the Lord the sincerity of his heart, and Jesus went to his house. Praise the Lord. So that's a little bit about publicans. Sinners were notorious and public sinners like harlots. Because a harlot by her job is known by the whole city. These were small towns. They're not like the big cities of America. But you would know who a harlot was in town because of where she hung out and the reputation that she would get around town. And so last night when you read Luke chapter 7, beginning at verse 36, and working your way to the end of the chapter, you had 15 verses about a woman that Simon the Pharisee, Simon the Pharisee, say it with disgust. Simon the Pharisee, say it with disgust. Simon the Pharisee, a worthless human being, and worse than that, a black-hearted man that would not do anything good and nice for the Lord Jesus Christ except to sit there at the dinner table when Jesus came to his house and despised Jesus because Jesus allowed a harlot, most likely, to come out of the city and stand behind him and cry over his feet because of the way they lied on their sides to eat and then anointed those feet and kissed those feet. And Jesus said, looking at her, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, may I ask you something? Yes. Yes, you may, Master. Oh, Master. What does that mean? It means this. Listen, do you listen? Say on, Master. It means this. I go, sir. Mm -hmm. Did you notice how the sir came into the second son? Right. I thank God for Titus Vespasian Caesar that killed every Jew that wasn't a friend of sinners. And I hope every one of you think the same way. Amen. Then Jesus turned and looked at the woman but kept talking to Simon. I, I love every detail of Luke 7. Do you remember the sermon? I remember you remembering the sermon. It's going, but it's not gone. 
Simon, when I came in, you didn't wash my feet. You didn't even give me any water to wash my feet. But this woman hasn't stopped washing my feet with her tears. You didn't anoint me with oil. She's anointed my feet. Why didn't you give me some oil for my head? Don't you know how dry, how dry the climate is here in the Middle East? She's anointed my feet with oil. You didn't even kiss me. She hasn't stopped kissing me. Her sins, which are many. Imagine with me. She had done anything and everything that any of you worldly wise people know about with many. Let's just put a comma there and say many. Let's put a comma there and take a comma away and say very many. She was a harlot. Everyone knew it about her. Woman, thy sins are forgiven thee. Go in peace. And Jesus defended her against the host of the dinner. And I love him for it. Where are you? Are you on Simon the Pharisee's side of the table? Or are you on the Lord Jesus Christ's side of the table? If the truth be told, we're all on the poor woman's side of the table. Because we're all sinners like that going to the Lord Jesus Christ. I've met her. I've met her in this life a few times. I can't wait to meet her in heaven. And there's some of her sitting in this church. And Jesus loves you. The pastor loves you. His wife loves you. And I'm sorry that anyone has ever picked on you or made you feel afraid or made you feel less because you were so much better than they were. And that's exactly how I feel. God hates the self-righteous, and I hate them with all of my being. Because Jesus does. The greatest enemies Jesus ever had were those Pharisees. With repentance, Jesus defended them and ate with them. And so you read about the the hundred sheep, the ten coins, and the prodigal son. And all of that was to teach that a repentant sinner is to be celebrated more than someone who thinks they're good. The the, The prodigal's older brother coming in from the field with his dad. Dad, what's this celebration going on for the prodigal? He's a scumbag bum. He took the inheritance and went and spent it with harlots. I never did anything like that to you. Which one goes to hell? The older brother goes to hell because he lived by the book. The prodigal goes to heaven because he repented. Now listen very carefully. The older brother is so deceived and so wicked, he doesn't understand that he needs to repent. He can't even visualize repenting. He doesn't know that he's guilty of a sin because he's so self-righteous. He doesn't know that there's anything wrong with him. He's living by the book. He never did those things to his father. So that makes him better than the prodigal. Oh no, the R factor made the prodigal far better than him. The older brother went to hell. The prodigal went to heaven. Jesus loved the prodigal and hated the Pharisee older brother because that was the spirit of the Pharisees. Self-righteous hypocrites like the Pharisees consider Jesus to be a wicked compromiser. So they used that description, friend of sinners, as something terrible about him. And we think it's something wonderful about him. We know it's something wonderful about him. They had no regard for repentance by such. They despised all forgiveness and mercy if you weren't part of their club. So they, in their touch-not, taste-not, handle-not religion, charged Jesus with a crime by being a friend of sinners. The title of this sermon is taken from a malicious charge that was gloriously true. Thank you, Lord. 
and the children of God and the children of wisdom. Every wise person sitting here knows that everything in Luke chapter 7 is perfectly beautiful. God sends John the Baptist very different from Jesus Christ, and both men were sent from God. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. John 1, 5. And then Jesus Christ came. Okay, let's talk about sinners for a little bit. Okay, you want, you're all looking at me with that expectant look on your face. I'm going to quit it at 20 after. Okay. Now that's out of the way. You don't have to wonder. I took it out of the way in the first service. Did I hit my target? Can I get a yes? It, it was close. And I, I'm not trying to be funny. I just want you to relax. Let's talk about sinners for a minute. All men are legal sinners. And the Bible does not distinguish them with gradations. There are only practical gradations. The Bible does have a practical spectrum, and I haven't got to it in recent men's meetings, though it has been on slides we didn't get to. Way over at the left, I have seven landing spots on a spectrum, from David and Paul over to sons of Belial and reprobates. There's sons of Belial and reprobates on one end. Then you come in a little bit, and you have scorners. Then you come in a little bit, and you have fools. Then you come in, and now you're to the middle of seven landing spots, and the middle is the mean man. Now, the mean is an aromatic arithmetic average, the mean man. He's in the middle. He's average. And so from average, you can go to fool, you can go over to scorner, you can go over to son of Belial or a reprobate. Are you with me? Okay. So there's gradations of practical conduct and practical character that are in life. But when it comes to legal measure of a man, legal measure of a woman, we all need a Savior to interpose on our behalf and save us by washing away our sins. And there are no gradations. Because the Bible says very clearly in places like James chapter 2 that one sin makes you guilty of the whole law. You'd be under the, you'd be under the punishment of the whole law for breaking one sin. And the worst sin is thinking you're better than someone else because it's self-righteousness before God. There's one thing that grace does. The grace of God that brings salvation humbles us to admit that we're sinners. That's what it does. And so when somebody sits back and thinks that they're better than someone else, you've got to ask. We've got to ask about them. They've got to ask about themselves. Are they even saved? Because a saved person can only think about their depravity and their wickedness. They're never doing any comparisons with anyone else. They're always saying, I'm the worst. Well, I'm the worst. I'm the worst. And I know some of there's. Do you know that there's men in this congregation that like to debate that with me? That's the kind of debates we ought to have. Right. I'm the least and the worst he's ever called. You say, are you proud of it? Yes, I'm proud of Jesus Christ saving the least and the worst. Amen. Because he gets all the glory for saving me. I'm trying to be good practically, trying with all my might. I want to please him in every single way. How often do you pray that you haven't disappointed him? See, I don't care. I mean, I hope I've gone a little deeper than I don't want to displease him. I don't want to sin against him. I ask God to forgive me every single time I preach to you if I disappointed him in a single word choice. If I disappointed him. Not even as far as a sin, just if I disappointed him. Because grace should teach us to be examining ourselves and worrying about what we're doing, not someone else. We're all legal sinners. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Paul didn't leave any doubt about the matter in Romans chapter 1, 2, and 3. In Romans 1, 2, and 3, he condemned all his sinners. Let me talk about David for a minute. Let's talk about God's, some of God's men in the Bible. David was a terrible scoundrel. You say, why'd you call him a scoundrel? You're always talking about David was a scoundrel. You say, how do you know he was a scoundrel? Well, because the prophet of God said he was a scoundrel. When did the prophet of God say he was a scoundrel? The prophet of God that told the story of the rich farmer coming and taking the poor little farmer's single little ewe lamb and telling that whole story, and David saying, that man should be killed, and that lamb should be restored four times. Nathan said, thou art the man. Now, what would David have called that rich man that he wanted to kill? A scoundrel. Thou art the man. Okay, I hope that was easy enough for you. David, now, it depends on how you read the Bible and how critically you want to be of poor David. But uh, when I read the Bible, I have 13 sins of David. They're in an outline that's been on the website for several years. See, most people can only think of him with Bathsheba and killing her husband and killing collateral damage around him. That's three sins. We just went a long way with three sins. 
But then they they might be able to remember that he did number Israel and cost 70,000 lives. We're up to four. And, you know, he did move the Ark of the Covenant the wrong way, not according to the due order, and it cost a man his life. So we're up to five. And I'm not going to go through the rest right now, but I've got 13 sins from the Bible that David was guilty of. But you know what I love the most about Jesus as the friend of sinners? David was God's favorite always. Always. Jesus, Jesus isn't the son of Paul. Jesus isn't the son of Joseph. Jesus didn't even come from Joseph's tribes. Jesus is the son of David. And Jesus is excited to be the son of David. And Jesus is called David sometimes in the Bible. Embrace it. Isn't that wonderful? Amen. Lord, David sinned against more grace in his heart and knowledge of God than any man. He had a whole harem of women. What was he doing out that night looking at Bathsheba and ordering her to his apartment? He had a whole harem. Uriah was one of his 37 chosen men. Why in the world would he kill him? Why would he send such destructive orders that had collateral damage and killed a number of other men? Enough other men that when the report was given to David, he was in a rage against Joab for his terrible battle tactics until the man said... Joab wants you to know that Uriah was in the number. Pharisees and lawyers, the crowd that wanted to pick on Zacchaeus, get a load of this. God said to that man, I'm going to build you a house. And it's called the sure mercies of David. And it was so exciting to David on his deathbed, he could say, this is all my salvation, all my desire. Although it doesn't take in much of my family. It's just going to be traced down through one or two of my sons. Peter was a cruel sinner. Now let me back up to David. As Jesus taught Simon the Pharisee at that dinner table, great sinners make great lovers who loved the praise of God more than David. Asaph, are you out of your mind? Asaph had a job. He was hired by David. Whoever loved God more than David? Because the great sinners are the greatest lovers. You say, well, I don't know that I'm a great sinner. I I haven't done all the terrible things that some of the people in the congregation, oh, you're bad enough. Just love him anyway. You know, we had a young man up in this pulpit recently that joined our church and wanted to say that the Lord's protected me from doing a lot of those bad things. And you know what we all say? Amen. And do you know what an elderly brother in this congregation got up and called that young man? Do you remember? Should I use it? He called him an idiot. He called him an idiot for wanting to have bad baggage from his past and not be thankful for the protection that he had. Us older guys, thank God for you young men being protected. So just think about David. Why did David love the Lord so much? Because he'd been forgiven so much. Peter was a cruel sinner. Disgraceful, don't you think? Denying Jesus and then denying God's grace and the conversion of the Gentiles at Antioch so that Paul had to rebuke him to his face. He cursed. He swore. He denied he even knew Jesus three times at the worst time in Jesus' life. What do you want to say about him? He was a hypocrite at the new church at Antioch of Syria, so Paul had to publicly rebuke him. Peter's two profane sins were after years with Jesus and after being a leading apostle. Isn't that just terrible? Are those about as presumptuous as you can imagine? Peter spent the rest of life serving Jesus wide open, knowing his cruel death was coming. And of of all the apostles, who did Jesus appear to first? Peter. And it's mentioned in the New Testament three times. Peter would have been happy to have been crucified upside down if that's what happened to him because all that the Lord had forgiven him of. How about Paul? How about Paul? Somebody's going to say, well, there's no sins about Paul. Paul didn't have a problem with sin. He just walked through life 
like a straight-laced Pharisee that he was. Paul was a Pharisee, and he was the son of a Pharisee, but he tells us a little bit about himself in Romans chapter 7. And in order, because I'm, I'm losing time, I have a long outline in front of me that I've worked hard on. But in Romans chapter 7, the Apostle Paul said that when I finally understood the commandment, the tenth commandment, thou shalt not lust. Sin revived in me, and I knew I was a sinner because that commandment, you cannot fantasize for something that's wrong or something that's not yours, it wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. Go look that little jewel up sometime. It wrought in me every kind and every sort of lustful desire, especially libidinous desires, sexual desires, libido, if you need the word, desires, sexual fantasies, Paul said it in Romans 7. He said, The things that I would, I do not. The things that I hate, I do. Who shall deliver me from the body of this death? I thank God through Jesus Christ my Lord. Now, don't anyone take any comfort in here from that passage that I just read to you because he fought against it. He said in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, I keep under my body. Lest when I've preached to others, I myself should be a castaway and fall victim and be destroyed by my sins. But he admitted something to us. The Apostle Paul. Did God and Jesus Christ love the Apostle Paul? Jesus loved Saul of Tarsus and saved him. Did Jesus know all about Paul's problems? That are Absolutely he knew about them. And he's the greatest apostle of the New Testament. I thank you, Lord, for that. The enemies, the, the enemies of sinners are the Pharisees. And so I have a monster section on the enemies of sinners because it makes the friend seem so much more valuable. Look at Luke chapter 18 with me. Luke 18. I trust the Bible. And when Paul says something like that, I trust him. It's in Romans 7, starting at verse 6 or so, and working to the end of the chapter. You can read it. That commandment, thou shalt not lust, exposed in me, Sin revived. I thought I was good one time. But then when I had that 10th commandment explained to me that I can't even think about sin because Proverbs 24, 9 says the thought of foolishness is sin, that I couldn't even have my fantasies, sin revived and I died. I knew I was condemned before the law of God. The law is good. I'm bad. There's nothing bad about the law. It's good. I'm bad. Right. Do you know, what I, do you know who, who I just gave you? Three of the greatest men in the Bible. Sinners? Any sinners out there? Jesus loves sinners. Amen. David, Peter, and Paul. Did they love him back? Like who else? Whoever worked as hard as Paul. I wonder why Paul was so driven. I knew that he had to make up for the fact that he had been a blasphemer and had killed Christians. But he also knew that in, in, inside him, he was vile. What a great man he was. Thank you, Lord, for saving our souls. Look at Luke 18. Here's how Jesus did it in this place. He had to do it all the time. Do you understand the Pharisees were the constant enemies of John, Jesus, and Paul? Jewish legalists. Constant enemies. Luke 18, 9. He spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. How much of you do you want in verse 9? How much of you do you want in verse 9? I hope it's none, ever. Verse 9 is hell. And he spake this parable unto certain which trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. These straight-laced hypocrites that do things by the book, God despises them and so should we. These Pharisees that were the enemies of Jesus. Here's what, he, here's what Jesus told. Two men... It was two sons before over there in Matthew 21. But here, two men went up into the temple to pray. The one a Pharisee and the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, 
or even as this publican. I fast twice in the week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the publican, standing afar off, would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The words of the Lord Jesus Christ. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For every one that exalteth himself shall be abased, and he that humbleth himself shall be exalted. So for anyone wanting to know how I could say who goes to hell and who goes to heaven, Jesus just told us. The publican gets to go to heaven. He was the son that said, I won't, then repented and did. The Pharisee is the son that said, I go, sir, but never went. What a comparison. Brethren, okay, to build our church the right way, each of you need to make sure you're never in verse 9. And then we need to keep the whole church out of verse 9. We want to love sinners. Remember, this is the third time I have to say it. Repentant sinners, because it's repentance that makes the difference. I have scads. What is that? Well, I don't even know what that means. I have a great deal of material on this particular point, but I'm ready to leave it. I'm just going to leave it. I want to get to the friend of sinners. I have the text. Luke 7, 29 through 36. I have sinners. I have the enemies of sinners, being the self-righteous Pharisee types. Then I have the friend. I want to tell you about the friend, because I've only got a few minutes left, and the friend deserves a whole lot more. When they called him a friend of sinners, they were relegating him to the gutter. When we call him the friend of sinners, we are exalting him as the glorious Savior. Go to Matthew chapter 1. I speak to all my sisters right now that have ever worried about their sins. And I've, do, I've done this before. I only, I only wanted you to read six verses in Matthew chapter 1. What is the last word of the Old Testament? Let me check. I, I, I may have forgotten. What's the last word of the Old Testament? Curse. Curse. Then you turn the page. You turn the page. And do you know what it says? The book of the generation of Jesus Christ. Curse to Jesus Christ. And then in six verses, you have four bad women. One of them, you only know her as a good woman, but she came out of a bad nation that was known for one particular vice. Let's start down through it. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham, Abraham begat Isaac, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat Judas and his brethren. See, Judas has to be mentioned, the fourth son of Jacob, because through Judas, Jesus Christ would come. And Judas begat Pharaoh and Zerah of Tamar. Who's Tamar? Why does she get in here? I thought the genealogies of the Bible were men to men. And and -and so-and-so begat so-and-so and begat so-and-so and begat so-and-so. What's this woman doing in here? And Judas begat Pharaoh and Zerah of Tamar his daughter-in-law, who pretended she was a prostitute and seduced him into impregnating her. Genesis chapter 38 has the sordid story. And Pharaoh's begat Ezram, and Ezram begat Aram, and Aram begat Aminadab, and Aminadab begat Naasen, and Naasen begat Salmon, and Salmon begat Boaz of Rachab. Wait a minute. What's another woman in here for? Well, that's Rahab the prostitute of Jericho. Unbelievable. And Boaz begat Obed of Ruth. Ruth, the Moabitess? Are you kidding me? She's in the lineage of Jesus Christ? The Moabites were the cast-offs of Lot's children. Lot's incestuous children. Ruth and Obed begat Jesse, and Jesse begat David the king, and David the king begat Solomon of Hur, that had been the wife of Urias the Hittite. And so we're down through verse 6, and we have four women. We have Terah, we have Tamar, the daughter-in-law of Judas, of Judah, incest with her father-in-law for the purpose of pregnancy. Then we have Rahab, 
who did it with every man in Jericho. They were Canaanites, after all. And then we have Ruth, the Moabitess. They were sent by Balaam, after his cursing wouldn't work, to commit whoredom with the Israelites. And Ruth was from that nation. All we know of Ruth is good and pure and righteous, but from the bad nation. And then we have Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. And they're mentioned here. Do you want to read down through here and see how many other women you can find? I just want you women to rejoice that have ever worried about your sinful past. This is the gospel of the New Testament. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We end the Old Testament with the word curse. We turn the page, the book of the generation of Jesus Christ. And God not only brought four tainted women, and some of them were really tainted, into the lineage of Jesus Christ, but he published it. Did he have to say it? In Matthew chapter 1, this forces me to go back and read the sordid story in Genesis 38. Then it forces me to go back and read the sordid story in 2 Samuel 11. Why did he publish it? For comfort, because Jesus is the friend of sinners. Never forget this. I'll say it as discreetly as possible. Jesus came through Bathsheba's womb twice. I was very discreet. Matthew 1 is the genealogy of Joseph, the legal father of Jesus. So it says Solomon. Luke 3 is the biological genealogy of Jesus. So it traces down to Mary. Mary's genealogy ran through Nathan, a different son of Bathsheba. That's the comfort centers. That's the comfort centers. And it's stuck right there in the front of your New Testament. Jesus is the friend of sinners. Oh, yes, he is. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba. In six short verses, a precedent is set to exalt forgiveness and mercy through Jesus Christ. Zacchaeus was hated by the crowd, but Jesus wanted to go to his house and left the crowd behind. A Gadarene had no friends. They left him in a cemetery, naked, naked, and running around like a wild, crazy man. But Jesus came all the way across the Sea of Galilee to save him. And then after he saved him, the whole city came out and they were terrified and told Jesus to get out of their coast. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's how most people think about sinners. The Samaritan woman, you already, I've already told you about the sinner woman in Luke chapter 7. The Samaritan woman had more than five husbands, but Jesus came for her. Jesus sat down, sent his apostles away so that this woman could come out there and, feel, and not feel intimidated. And she sat down and he began talking. John 4 is wonderful. She said, I don't have a husband. And Jesus said, you've had five and the man you're with right now, you haven't married. You're set, you said the truth. Oh, yeah. She was a bad woman. But Jesus loved her. Jesus loved sinners. Jesus, Jesus forgives sinners. Jesus is the friend of sinners. The man born blind was called by the Pharisees a sinner. You're all together in your sins. You don't know anything. The thief on the cross didn't have to give Jesus a pound of flesh. He heard the sweetest words any man has ever heard. Today thou shalt be with me in paradise. Jesus is the friend of sinners. Mary Magdalene was only a saved wretch out of whom Jesus cast seven devils. Jesus appeared to her first even before Peter. Never forget it. Mark 16, 9. The Bible wants us to know that Jesus appeared to her first. He didn't appear to his mother first. He didn't appear to Mary and Martha and Lazarus first. He didn't appear to Peter, James, and John first. He appeared to Mary Magdalene first. Peter was surely worried. After the crucifixion and denying his Lord, he went out and wept bitterly, the Bible tells us. But Jesus appeared to him before the twelve, and the Bible wants us to know that. Paul was the worst sinner in some respects, and he said so. I'm the chiefest of sinners, but he's an example for you. Do you know why God saved Saul of Tarsus? to set forth an example that he's able to save you and forgive right. you your sins. It tells us that in 1 Timothy chapter 1. A pagan, cruel jailer was visited by Jesus' spirit and his best apostle in the middle of the night. 
Paul and Silas were praising God and singing praises. And an earthquake came. The man was so pagan, he had put them in the innermost prison. He hadn't washed them. He hadn't taken care of them. He hadn't done a thing for them. He locked them up in stocks down there in the innermost prison and then went to sleep. And then when he woke up out of his sleep, seeing that the prison doors were open, being a pagan, he pulls out his sword. He's going to commit Harry Carey. That's, that's a great solution. Commit suicide. I mean, the man was so messed up. But the Spirit of God came into that prison by the order of the Lord Jesus Christ because he is the Spirit of Christ, the yea and the amen. Because that jailer and his family were written in the Lamb's Book of Life and the Spirit of God came inside that prison. And Paul said, do thyself no harm. We're all here. And he came in trembling and fell down at their feet. What must I do to be saved? What a transformation. Jesus is the friend of sinners. Look at 1 Corinthians 6. Oh, look at the time. Did I say 1225? What? 1230? Thank you. Okay, 1 Corinthians 6. 1 Corinthians 6. The church at Corinth. Corinth was equal to our San Francisco and worse. Corinth, to Corinthianize someone or something was to turn it into some object of sexual perversion or sexual sin. It was terrible. Corinth was terrible. And so look what the Bible says about Jesus, the head of the church at Corinth. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Sinners aren't going to heaven unless their sins are washed away. Remember, I told you, we got it qualified all the way through this. Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. But ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Jesus is the friend of sinners, even at Corinth. No sinner should fret or worry about their sins, no matter how many or how bad. Jesus is touched with all the feelings of your infirmities, and he was tempted in every point as you are. And he was made the way of our nature so that he could be a compassionate high priest for us and succor us in our time of trouble. You will soon die and meet God. He's the thrice holy God that cannot stand sinners. You're not in the same moral universe as Job, but Job repented in dust and ashes. You're not morally close to Isaiah, but Isaiah cried out in great fear for his sinfulness. You're not morally close to John, but he fell down at Jesus' glorified feet as dead. But Jesus raised John to his feet and told him to fear not and that he was alive for him. God sent his son into this world to die and to save chosen souls. Have you run to him? The great work is to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, John 6, 29. It's for you to believe on him. He taught that only the elect would come to him and he would never cast out a single one of them. All the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. He preached hard doctrine to drive away the rest of that crowd in John chapter 6 because they were carnal, selfish hearers. He, he then asked the apostles if they wanted to go his way as well, and Peter had this answer. Do you want to go away as, as well as the crowd that just left me? Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life, and we believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God. The friend of sinners will never cast out a believer, and he wants you to let him in. Not only has he come after you and saved you and forgiven you your sins, and you stand perfect and complete in all the righteousness of God, but he is knocking at your door. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and sup with him and he with me. Not only has he legally forgiven us, he's, he's knocking at the door, wanting to come in for better fellowship. Jesus is the friend of sinners. If you do not know how to come or go to Jesus, believe he is God's son and your savior. Confess your sins to the great friend and forgiver of sinners. He will not cast you out. And if you need more help about this, of having more fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, then four sermons were preached in October of 2013. Two, the year 2013, in October, four sermons. The most important sermons I've ever preached this church about fellowship with Christ. I just wanted to tell you a little bit today about Jesus being the friend of sinners. Amen. 
For all those of you that know your sinners, let's love them. Amen. For all those of you that understood the New Testament that I just covered, in brief, let's be friend of sinners. Let's eradicate any Phariseeism that ever rises up in our hearts. And let's keep any Pharisees from ever entering this church. May the Lord bless the preaching of his word. Amen. Okay, Daniel, come and lead us in some singing. Well, a few more servants of this church fix a little snack for you. We've already had 11 men in this pulpit. I hope you keep track. Love the brotherhood. Daniel, come and lead us, please. <laughs> 